Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. My next guest is a, is a gentleman who's, uh, whose work I've admired uh, ever since I was first introduced to it in England. He is considered Britain's top comic, and I think very quickly he's one of the great favorites uh, here in the United States as well. His, his uh, show that was uh, touring around and was videotaped here in San Francisco called Dress to Kill uh, is on HBO, and it circles around from time to time, and I think it's also available on video. It's some of the funniest two hours I've spent, and he's here in town uh, in San Francisco with his new show called Circle. Will you please welcome Eddie Izzard to West Coast Live. This is the first time I have had an executive transvestite on the show. Yeah, probably. um, Have you had non-executive transvestites on? Yes, we have. All right. Who? Uh, Dame Edna has been on. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't think he says he's a transvestite. Well, in the show business world, well, see, his persona. It's, yeah, it's being on stage and off stage. It's like um, being open about. You know, because a lot of people play with gender, but I happen to be open about it. And then it just gets a bit. Uh, that's slightly different. That's slightly more. It's like on stage and off stage. But I'm not wearing a huge amount of makeup now. But it's radio. Yeah, but also I don't, you know, there's a thing, I came, I came out and started wearing makeup, then when I stopped wearing it, people saying, why aren't you wearing it? And I said, well, I don't have to now, otherwise I've gone from one box where I wasn't allowed to wear makeup into a box where I had to wear makeup. <laughs> and then I say, just back off me, you fascist. And uh, <laughs> to my mum, oh, no. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's just sort of, uh, I'll, I'll wear what I, I mean, it's, you know, like the word transvestite is a very, uh, very second millennium word. We're into the third millennium now, and it's... So what would the third millennium word be? Um, well, I'm a male lesbian. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's much more, because it means cross-dressing, and whose line, whose line am I crossing, you know? I mean, who's go- who am I going to let, is Bill Gates going to tell me the line? No. Is it a good government? You know, whose government? Is it Fidel Castro? Yeah. Who, uh, I think is quite fun. Because America has a big downer on Castro. And, uh, but you know that in the rest of the world, you know, the whole Cuba-America thing, you know the Star Wars analogy, it's now that the empire is now America. Dun, 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 dun. That's, that's America now. And the rebels seem to be the, the Cubans. So uh, just thought I'd mention that. Complete silence from the audience there. But I just thought... They're processing, they're processing that. I know, but it's, it's, it's a weird analogy, but it's also kind of true, because they seem so small. Because it's David and Goliath, you know. And they're very much Davids down there. A lot of, a lot of Davids there. Well, n- not as many as here. Yeah. Well, well the go- there are a lot more Goliaths here than there, right? Yes, I know. The analogy is really sort of falling apart now. But anyway, because <laughs> there weren't multiple, you know, Goliaths and multiple Davids. But anyway, yeah, this is all true, and it proves my theory. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's one of the marvels, too, of, of, of a great comic line, is that you begin sort of discussing it, and then it kind of can sort of crumble, or you get this kind of vapor fail, trail in it. Yes, I, I don't really, I mean, you know, analogies. I come up with very weird analogies. What was the one? Oh, yeah, I was saying the Pope that... Oh, I said there's this line about the Pope. I'm just saying this in the show. I, sh- I don't normally do my own material, but it's just there's the lights are on and nobody's home. I don't think that's the Pope, because I'm quite interested. I think it's all the lights are off, but the fridge is full. I think that's... <laughs> he's like when you open the fridge and go, there's no light, but oh, there's stuff in here. Oh, there's ham. Because he's just looking a bit knackered these days, which is an English word, which means very tired. Yeah. It's like bollocks and knackered are two words you can say here, but no one knows what they mean. Well, knack- knackered comes from what used to happen to horses. 
Yeah, knackered was taken to the knacker's yard and then they were ripped apart and, and given out to other people. Small children could play with bits. Yeah. <laughs> and enjoy them between bits of bread. Yeah, well, in France, they eat horse. You know, horse, cheval is on the menu, but um, in Britain, no. I don't think in America either. You know, we just think, oh, we don't want any horses, horses and dogs. Other places, they tuck into a bit of dog. <laughs> bit of dog with a cat, bit of monkey's brain. Oh, why not? But the, I, I think it's the way the food is called. In, in France, they call it cheval. I mean, if we call it cheval, here it would sound like beef. I mean, we don't call beef cow. Here, you want a cow? I know. Well, the whole beef thing is like, um, it's, yeah, you don't eat cow, do you? You eat beef. Yeah. And you don't go, oh, look in that field, there's a herd of beefs. Because that's, <laughs> we, I think we try and distance ourselves. So we're, yeah, we're eating beef. What is this strange stuff? It came from Mars. I saw a lovely little calf once and beautiful brown eyes. And I asked the farmer if he'd named it, you know, nice city boy's question. He says, nope, we're going to veal them out next week. <laughs> yeah, they're, well, they're, they're farmers, aren't they? they? They actually do that stuff. And uh, I mean, yeah, I really shouldn't eat. I mean, I need, I'm, I'm down to sort of chicken and fish. Because I think chicken and fish, you know, they're... they're uh, you know, I don't care about them. You know, so they're, they're <laughs> well, they're not furry. They're not furry. You can't hug a chicken, hug a fish. Yeah. You know, fish just really don't care, and they don't even seem to care about the hook and the lip thing. Yeah. And if they're not bothered about that, then I'd be bothered. So, and they're very slippery if you try to hug them. Yeah, they don't really do that, and they just do that open mouth thing. And they're much better in water than out of water. And chickens are just, you know, cut the head off and they still go. And that's, why is that only with chickens? Well, I said chickens are Margaret Thatcher. Cut the head off and they're still... <laughs> still carry on for about a minute. Do you get, do you get quoted in uh, the op-ed pages of, uh, of British newspapers for your political comments? In, in the what papers? Uh, the, uh, the opinion and editorial pages of British newspapers. Oh, I like that cup version. Um, uh, the op-ed. No, no, I don't. I don't think I do. Um, uh, no, why? Why would they? I mean, um, no. <laughs> well, you make some trenchant comments from time to time. You know, they're, they're insightful. You, you, yeah. And then humor does that. But there's a distinct thing. I, I've grown up as being um, a sort of comedy person there, so I'm really quite in the comedy, because I'm very pro-Europe, and whenever I do talk about Europe, I'm always put on the non-political seat, so they don't really bring me into, you know, they just think I'm, I'm, I'm just being a, a comedian. There. Whereas in America, I've sort of came, I came in, I was already, I'd already practiced in Britain, so by the time I came in, I was quite good, so I didn't do that sort of building up phase. And then also this kind of, you have a European cachet just from being European, which I do, it does mean, that, oh, God, he's, he's come all, <laughs> all the way over that Atlantic thing. You know, and so uh, I think I get extra brownie points, which I shouldn't really have. You should really mark me down here. Uh -huh. You should take a few points off. What people say, take a few points off, and that's really where I am. That's where you are. The, uh, sometimes, do you do a bilingual show or you do a show in France, sometimes all in French? I do it in France as much as I can in, in Paris. Tout son français parce que c'est. Je suis un Européen et il faut il faut apprendre deux langues, trois langues, être bilingue. Bilingual is bilingue. I keep saying bilingue, but it's bilingue. Yeah, so it's quite difficult. Getting. I mean, I have the French of about a fourteen-year-old, I think. But when you've you've done impersonations of James Mason and Sean Connery, the French don't get it. Yeah, because they they're dubbed. I was doing these really good. Well, I thought they were going to be really good, but they, um, they have the actors dubbed, and they don't know what I was talking about. They just, but it, was, it, was, it sounded pretty good to me. I know you want me to do them, but I won't do them. But everyone says, ah, do them now. But no, it was. It seemed pretty good. I mean, Sean Connery saying, voulez-vous coucher avec moi? See, no, don't, don't applaud, because it's not good. But, um, but I thought that was quite fun, you know, getting into a second language thing. But then the... 
Sean Connery's dubbed by another guy. So I'd have to find out who he was. And it could be different people. Yeah. Like I saw, I've seen a lot of Alain Delon films that were shown late night in Britain. And I was seeing them over and over again. Then I saw one and he was speaking totally different. And I thought, wow, he's changed his entire voice for this thing. And then I realized I'd never actually heard his voice because it was all one English guy dubbing it and then some <laughs> other English guy dubbing it. So uh, that's just a dubbing joke. Yeah, dubbing joke, yeah. The, uh, one of the things I liked about your, your makeup that you wear is that I realized that it, it f for me, watching the, this video, your expressions read very easily. Uh, I mean, because a lot of your, your humor, the way you use your eyebrows, your eyes, your, your mouth, the way it moves, it's, uh, you're very ex facially expressive. Yeah, um, yeah that, that tends to be my end of comedy. Um, but, uh, yeah, it wasn't designed that way. I just happened to be wearing a lot of slap on my face. But um, if it works in that, yes. I suppose that's true. Yes, in answer to your question. Yeah. Yeah. All right, good, all right. When you, uh, when you were in your early 20s, you, you told your father that you were a transvestite. And late 20s. Late 20s, oh, you're late 20s. I came out in my early 20s, but I told him six years later, just in case, you know, I sort of took six years going, yeah, I don't know. But he, yeah. But he's been very supportive, and, and when you say, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm weird, he says, don't say that? Yeah, yeah, who told you that? I, I, you know, I don't know, I, the air, it's in the air. As my son says, it, no. it came to me in my head. Well, I must have told someone it must have been written down. It must have been written down somewhere, yeah. I saw it somewhere, in some research. Yeah, Dad is, uh, yeah, he was very cool, he just said, uh, um, yeah, I said I'm a transgender, and he said, yeah, all right, and then... <laughs> And then he wrote a letter saying he, he was he thought it was cool and um, you know he's obviously not wild he wasn't wild and positive because at that time I was I was my stand-up was just breaking through I mean some people have said oh you did this the transvestite thing as a sort of gimmick and then you got known in stand-up somebody wrote in, in America he wasn't known before this happened that really pissed me off and I wanted to go and give him a punch at the bracket um, which you won't know what that means but it means it means a <laughs> sock in the jaw but um, because I'm an action transvestite. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> because I waited until the stand-up was cooking up, but then I sort of did a sort of public, uh, it uh, sort of came out to the press. I had to sort of st stagger it. I had to do it. Because just knowing how the press could be, you know, they could spin something into something weird. So I thought I'd tell them before anything gets anywhere, when it was just building up. Like when the rocket was just going, right. before, before they, when they're on about six on the rocket launch pad. I was on about six or five. Uh -huh. Everyone's lost on that analogy. But anyway. No, no, no. So the count and the engine start before it actually lifts off. Right? Absolutely. It's just not funny, is it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but, but yeah, he's been cool. And yeah, and I, and I usually say, well, I'm weird. And that stops other people saying you're weird. Because, oh, he's already said he's weird. So that's fine. And then, uh, but dad once told me, just not, don't say that. He said, oh, all right. But uh, so, yeah, no, that's, that's really good. Because I've heard a lot of, there's been a lot of bad reactions in the, um, in the alternative sexuality arena of bad reactions. And so d dad's top of the good reaction thing. The uh, history is, is an area in which you, you, uh, you use, and, and you have an analysis of the history of World War II and people giving back the countries, you know, come on, give it back, give it back to England, that, that had me rolling on. I thought, I want to introduce my son to, to history as told by Eddie Izzard. And? <laughs> when he's old enough to appreciate it and understand the context, then then that'll be one of his educational, uh, you know. It'll be no, I thought you already had. You and A.J.P. Taylor, you know. Yeah, me and A.J.P. Because he was, uh, I don't know if anyone knows A.J.P. Taylor. He used to do television programs and he was A.J.P. Taylor. And it was, it's, I mean, anyone, no one in Britain's known by their initials. You know, it's usually an American thing. Someone called J.T. Hey, J.T. 
come and do this weird thing, you know. And it was, <laughs> and we see that on films with people with shotguns and trucks, and um, that's T.J. Hooker. I don't know, um, but yeah, T.J. They just they just don't happen. But A.J.P. Taylor exists, and I don't know. He, um, yeah, but he was into history, and uh, that's the end of my A.J.P. story. But I mean. But, uh, yeah, so I, th I thought you'd already told your son, but you haven't. And so no, no, I haven't. I, I'm saving it for when he understands. I mean, yesterday I just told him about Hitler for the first time. Yeah, and what did he say? Well, he wanted to know if he was a, a bad guy or a good guy. And I said he's generally held to be a very bad guy. And, uh, he, had, he had a little plane. He wanted to know what kind of plane it was. It was a, it was a bomber. It was a J-25 Mitchell bomber. And, and uh, how was it used? And he wanted to know how it was used. So I started telling him about World War II. And I thought... This is the first day he's heard the word Adolf Hitler in his life, you know? Well, it's funny that kids still do the sort of, the, the sort of, well, the Americans and the Germans or the British and the Germans type pictures. I mean, even in the 80s, I was seeing kids doing drawings like that. Because we were doing, I was playing around doing that when I was in the 70s. So it's, it's unfortunate for Germany because the whole Munich thing, um, that, the Bavaria thing and the Munich thing, which is, you know, and Hitler was Austrian. So that's where that sort of Nazi stronghold was. And Berlin wasn't that. And we think of Berlin as being capital of Nazidom. But in fact, Berlin was swinging and Weimar Republic and everyone doing crazy cabaret stuff. And, and when Hitler went out to, I think, march against the French, the people did not come out and wave, so they actually forced them out. And, and the Communist Party was strong there. So Berlin's always been cool. So I gotta go and do gigs in German there. I have to learn German first. At about the 14-year-old level? Well, I'll start off at about the three-year-old level, you know. It's <laughs> but I mean, they speak, apparently, I think I could do it in English there, because they, and they do have a sense of humor. There's an idea in Britain they don't have a sense of humor, but they do, because uh, I've been told that. But they, they do. <laughs> no, I know they do, because there are stand-up comedians there. Stand-up comedy has come down into Northern Europe. hasn't it Southern Europe, but it's sort of come down. Scandinavia. make it sound like the Visigoths and the Goths, these waves coming in. I, it's, it's good for, you know, because I want to play Europe, and I've played Iceland and Sweden and Denmark and, uh, and Holland and France. France hasn't really got stand-up, but, you know, it, you know it, well, it could happen there, but it's, uh, the s south of Europe just hasn't picked it up. Why, why doesn't France have stand-up? Well, because they have this thing called one-man show. They actually call it one-man show. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so if you go to France and you don't know anything, you can just say one-man show, and they say, "Yeah, we know what that means." We oui, say one-man show, <laughs> et puis, and then you've got to talk about one-man show. But um, it's uh, they do they do sketches, a bit like Bob Newhart type sketches. They're sort of one, two-person conversations with only one person doing it, and the responses imply what they've said. You know that sort of Bob Newhart conversation. So. You've done what with your dahlias? You know, uh -huh. all right, Mr. Stevens, well, I'll, yeah. And it, it's those kind of replies. And they do these kind of sketches to invisible people, sort of one person doing that. And then they, have a th they do a three-minute sketch, then they have a blackout. So it's like kind of somewhere between where Python was and where stand-up is. It's, um, and so they can get stand-up. It just, it just hasn't happened there much. And I, they don't really swing with being with alternative sexualities yet. The hip kids in Paris do, but it's still there's a thing in France called the sexuality anglaise. They call and they think anyone gay is, is English. Or this is the older generation. <laughs> sexuality anglaise. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this guy said it to me, and I happen to be a male lesbian, and so <laughs> and not a gay transvestite. So it all gets very confusing. But um, so I have to keep hitting people. Um, yeah, so they're, they're kind of they're kind of 1950s about you know because France is considered very sexy, but it's very 1950s sexy with mistresses and you know and th that kind of male female still separation, but it's not sexy in a kind of alternative uh, open you know alternative gender straight gender and the big mix thing, man. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, a friend of mine came out to me as a transvestite, you know, over the past few years, and and one of the things he told me was that he feels much more comfortable dressed as a woman than as a man. That somehow it frees him from having to behave as a man in all circumstances. And he's also and he's also straight. Yeah, I think I, I think about I don't. There's a <clears throat> there's a woman called Georgina Bayer in in New Zealand because we were touring through New Zealand, Australia, and she's the first uh, member of Parliament who's a transsexual. Um, and you know, the, so the transgender community is sort of getting slightly more visible, but it it is confusing. The I think the majority of male TVs and there's female TVs as well who are absolutely sort of invisible, and you know, because you know, if a woman wears bloke's clothing, that no one gives a monkeys, you know, and uh, <laughs> because women have total clothing rights now, and men should have total clothing rights as well, <laughs> and it's it is, it does seem. Thank you, six people, and. Uh, <laughs> We, we call it TCR here, the TCR movement. What's that? The Total Clothing Rights Movement. You, you call it, you just named it, yeah. and they've started it, and it's already picketing the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like these, I mean, I'm wearing these shoes, they're heels, but these could just be bloke's shoes, they could be women's shoes, they are in fact women's shoes, but who cares? And, and then the zips that zip up and buttons, that buttons up a different way. If it's, and a man will never put on a shirt that buttons up the wrong way because they're, they're worried about their sexuality being challenged, and it's just nonsense. It's buttons, for God's sake. <laughs> Get a grip. But it's true. People do it. The same with zips. I've got a jacket that zips up the girls' way. It's actually, a, I think it's a woman's jacket, but I don't care, of course. And there's a great liberation of, of being out. But if you've been, it's like, it's, if you're forced to be in this very blokey way, because women could be tomboy. See, I feel I'm a male tomboy. And women can do that sort of soccer and makeup thing. And uh, that's what I want to do. Those are my interests, you know. Soccer and makeup. Well, football and makeup. Football and makeup. Yeah. Call it soccer because you've got other things. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's actually football. Um, we invented it and we're not very good at it. Well, we, we sometimes are. And when we are and when we're not, I hate it. But anyway, <laughs> I get lost. We, I used to live for football. I just used to live for football up to the age of 13. And I went to a school where they didn't play football. And uh, so I became a transvestite. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, no, it was, I, I knew I was transvestite when I was four, so it wasn't quite like that. I actually started doing nothing for a while and just hit puberty and got acne. So that, yeah. was, that was fun. Yeah. So did acne change your life? Yeah. I think actually acne changes a lot of pubescent kids' lives. I think, you know, because when you're looking at your watch, like... No, I'm, I'm just, no, just, no, no, I'm just seeing if we have time. Go ahead. Um, it's a boring story anyway. No, no. So yes. <laughs> acne changed my life and uh, I started... <laughs> It was uh, once I started worshipping acne. Well, Edmund, Edmund White was on earlier, and he was talking about how he took care as a gay man of his 16-year-old straight nephew for a while, and his, his uh, nephew got off of the plane, and he said, oh, I see why he's been having problems. He's got acne. And so got him a good haircut, and got him to a good dermatologist, and got him a nice set of clothes, and his life improved. Oh, right. I thought the kid was saying that about the... No, no, no. <laughs> the, 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 the gay older uh, uncle was saying this about the younger nephew, bringing his... Nephew into the world, a gay man helping a straight man with his appearance. Well, ab well absolutely. I mean, acne. I mean, see, I was a very confident kid up to 13. I didn't deal with the transvestite thing, of course, and I was fencing girls, so I wasn't sort of picked on at school. And I was very athletic, running about, and I was very argumentative, so it was sort of fine, you know. And then puberty and the greasy hair and the acne thing. And I just think a lot of kids get destroyed in the, in the confidence area. And, it, and also, in the wild, they don't do it. You know, you don't get acne-ridden tigers, you know. <laughs> They seem to do, you know, like, like small horses or zebras are born and within two minutes they're walking and they, don't, they seem to cover puberty in that first 15 seconds. 
And I, I was saying this in the previous show, can we not get the scientists who can do Viagra, can't they have the, some sort of injection so that puberty can be one day, and then, and then we'll go, the voices break and everyone deals with, I mean, acne is just, and you know, tigers don't get acne, yeah. do they? They get stripes, though. But stripes is okay, we can deal with stripes. Yeah. We say, look, I've got stripes. We go, oh, that's very good. Yeah. Oh, I, I fancy the striped guy. But, but no one says, oh, I fancy the guy with irregular acne all over his pus-ridden face. <laughs> that's what it is, and it's just, it's just horrible. And also, you're not ready for it, because you haven't been washing as a kid. You've only washed when parents said, you've got to wash now. But I washed a year ago, now you wash now. And then you get to puberty, and, and you just realize, if I don't do this washing thing, I'm just way down the end of, of bad facial problems, hair. You know, it's just, it's, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare, Mike. When, uh, when did you first get on stage to do things? Were you, a, were you like a kid uh, actor? Uh, no, well, I, I played a raven when I was six, and I was very good. And um, <laughs> I was one of the best ravens. Well, there was only two ravens, but I noticed that you can upstage a lot of kids because uh, they're often, when their cue comes for their line, they're looking up at the ceiling. There's a strange thing of kids looking up at the ceiling, and then you just say the line. That's where they think the prompter is. No, I just yeah. think they are, they're, on a, they're on drugs or something. <laughs> I don't know. But I, did, uh, I, didn't, I got no parts at school. I did, there was this, uh, they did Beauty and the Beast, and they did this sort of school. It was a form play. I don't know, about 20 kids doing it. And I didn't get a part, so I played a street urchin. And all the, so all the rest of the kids who were really bad with street urchins, and uh, we had this one collective line that was, oh, beauty, don't go. And uh, <laughs> when, when obviously she was going. And uh, she did, did she listen to us? No, she went and sex with a monster. And, uh, <laughs> but I noticed that the kids were all dopey. So if, when the line came, I would just go, oh, beauty, don't go, very quickly. And all the other kids go, oh, has he said it? All right. <laughs> so I, I, I managed I, to carve out my own personal line and I printed up my own programs. <laughs> so I was very driven to get into these plays, but I, I think I was either really bad or the teachers that were supposed to give out parts were really bad and not noticing. You know, but I was held back all through the school. I felt, you know, but it actually prepared me for real life well because then you just get held back again. And so uh, who was the first one to kind of let you go to be funny in the way you wanted to be funny? Um, well, there was, a, there was a teacher at school who actually just did a, uh, when I was about t 11 or 12, I think 12, and he just did a, cl a form class play, and there was only about 12 of us in this form, it was really small, and so I, we just had to double up on parts, so accidentally he gave me a chance to do that, and then there was a, <coughs> excuse me, um, there was a teacher when I was 15, I played, um, what did I do? I played, I think, the, the Nazi in Cabaret, the musical, the, you know, the Weimar Republic, Berlin, all that stuff. And I played the Nazi, Ernst Ludwig. <laughs> and, um, and I was a pretty good Nazi. I dyed my hair black, because red hair slicked back, just didn't work in the 30s feel. And, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he gave me parts after that. So he, he sort of thought, oh, yeah, you're quite good as a Nazi. Here's a and uh, after that, I thought, well, I better not do just Nazis, because you just get into that just Nazi area. So I was your experience in Mystery Men uh, as a bad guy fulfilling in that way? Well, um, yeah, it was fulfilling in the big hair, being able to say complete weird stuff, and also dancing in a, in a very bad way, a la John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. Oh, it's good noise there. There was someone's... A cappuccino machine in the audience. A portable cappuccino. Someone's brought the car and let the tires down. 
Um, so, yes, and uh, that's true, and that proves my point. La lastly, uh, what's the secret of your nails? They're, they're beautiful silver nails. I mean, well, you, you just paint them. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And, and when you break a nail? And you wait until it grows again. It's a very biological thing. And <laughs> these, are, these are my own. I mean, people think I've stuck them on. But boys actually have stronger nails than women. Women have very weak nails. And they have to put the strengthener on. And boys have really, you know, strong, you know, I could sort of cut glass with these no. and break into houses and steal everything. I'd be a real good burglar. And he's, and he's dressed all in black like a cat burglar, a good cat burglar here. Uh, yeah, but not with these heels. I couldn't get up many walls. So <laughs> I'd use the stairs. I'd be a kind of just burglar without the cat bit. Just go directly and ring the door. And, uh, yeah. Say, can I nick everything in your house, please? Eddie Izzard, who's, uh, whose show is at the, uh, the current theater, uh, sold out, uh, which is, must break your heart to hear that. Yeah, it's enormously trying. Thank you very much for coming to be with us here in West Coast Live. Eddie Izzard. This is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.